Good morning, Oakland, California. How are you doing? Welcome back to another lovely episode of Unleashing the Future of Work Guide Live B2B Jam Session with your friend and lovely host, Tim Salau, CEO of Guide, Mr. Future of Work. Super excited to have you all here. And please, 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 if you are having a great Thursday, let us know in the comments below. Show us some love this lovely Thursday morning. If you're waking up on the good side of the bed, Say that you're waking up on the good side of the bed because I know I am super grateful to be alive, especially with all the protesting going on um, in honor of Jacob Blake. You know, thankfully, we're so happy that he's still alive uh, in times that we're all facing the struggle. And if you are currently paying attention to the news right now, please, please show your love and respects. Um, please, 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 please take care of yourself. Stay safe. And, you know, let's make sure that, you know, we're we're on the right side of humanity. Right. So much love to Jacob Blake and his family and all that they continue to do in making sure that we focus on human rights and we truly, truly address police brutality. So please, please show your love if you're in Oakland, if you're in Wisconsin, wherever you're at, you know, let us know so we can show you some love in the comments below. And I'm really excited because today my lovely, 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 lovely guest, he's awesome. I've been following his work for quite some time and he's going to share a whole bunch of of tidbits on what the future of work looks like, how organizational leaders should be thinking about the future of work, and what is the new employee-employer contract that we need to define with talent and employers. It's going to be riveting. And he actually just told me right before we went live that he's actually working on a new book that's going to be focused around all of this. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. You know, Steve Cadigan is known in Silicon Valley and abroad as a board member, keynote speaker for multiple organizations, but more importantly, a talent hacker and advisor to the stars, to the best organizations in the world. So from Manchester United Football Club to Square, Airbnb, Salesforce, Cisco, he's worked with them all. He has a <laughs> he has such a notable background that it's truly an honor to have him on the show and really just hear what he's thinking about in terms of the future of work and how organizations need to rethink their talent strategy and form a new employee-employer contract with their people. With that said, if you're excited, if you already know about Steve, show some love and share this with your network. Let your boss know that we're live right now, that he needs to tune in. Share this with him on LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you're at, because we have the lovely Steve Cadigan on the show. With that said, Steve, welcome to the show, man. Oh, Tim, great to be here, man. Thank you so much for the for the warm introduction. And I got to say, you know, before we get started, I'd like to riff a little bit on what the world's going through right now, particularly in America, with this tension with race relations and everything. And you know, having been in the human resource world as long as I have, and having seen the evolution that we're facing with so many things right now, it's like it's really making me think that one of the things we should all be trying to improve on right now is the ability to have hard conversations mm. and the ability to talk about tough stuff. Because I feel I worry in this era of tweets and little 140 character communications that we're losing our ability to have a constructive conversation about really hard stuff. And people are more hunkering down, you know, and standing, taking a side and not looking at the truth. <laughs> like we're debating truth today, which is really hard. But, you know, as someone who's spent my career, just like you have helping other people navigate a complex and increasingly complex world, 
Like, I really hope we double down on getting better at being able to talk about stuff that's really hard, you know? And I think that's a that's a part of the new employer-employee contract. You know, I think that the leaders who are not making some sort of statement or the organizations who aren't saying where they stand in all of this, uh, you know, it should be concerning because these are very tough times, especially when really it's all about human rights. Uh, fundamentally, for me, I believe, as a leader, and, you know, even with the the recent news about the attempted killing of, of Jacob Blake, you know, for me as a leader, I have to make a statement and I've made sure that I, I'm making my statement um, as a part of our organization, but it's tough. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think I want us to even dive deep on this because this is a perfect segue into one, having you share a little bit about, you know, your background and how you became a talent hacker and some of the things you've done with uh, a few of the organizations on your, on your list, man. Yeah, sure, Tim. Lo- love to do that. And, you know, I think uh, I'm a high context individual. And so maybe some context in my background to sort of help inform the audience around how I see the world. So I uh, moved to South Africa before I could learn to talk, probably before the age of two. My parents wanted to have a really exciting adventure. So I lived in South Africa the first five years uh, after we got there. I was there until the age of seven. And the government, uh, apartheid government, kicked us out in 1970. And I moved to the East Coast of the U.S., uh, went to school there. Dad's a minister. Mom ran a lot of nonprofit daycare centers for low-income families. And so um, I played a lot of sports, a lot of basketball. is kind of my thing. And I got really lucky in my first job out of college in, in San Francisco to find uh, recruiting. And, uh, and recruiting was everything I loved about sports, which was helping find the right people for the right teams, and uh, you know who performs well in certain kinds of environments, and who doesn't, and who needs a, a you know a team structure, who likes to work independently. And over the course of my career, working from I went from fashion to insurance, and then I went to high tech land, semiconductor, and then wow. I got to work in uh, you know video games and networking at Cisco Systems, and then ultimately my last regular job, I was the first head of HR at LinkedIn. You know, over that period of time, I had a chance to live and work in Singapore for two years, uh, live and work in Canada for a company called PMC Sierra for four years. And I think it's helped me see the world from a pretty holistic perspective. Like it's it's great to be an American, but it's even better, I think, to be in another country and learn how they see your country. Uh, when I was in Singapore, for example, SARS broke out. So I dealt with a pandemic, the front row seat, because it had broken out right in Hong Kong, just wow. you know, just above where we were. And then also we had the Gulf War going on over there. And it's when I was in Singapore, we were surrounded by Malaysia and Indonesia, not very friendly to the United States. And so, you know, living in a world where you can see the diversity of how people think differently, I think helps me help other people navigate, you know, disputes or disagreements because I can I've constantly been in this world where I've been in different environments and tried to see it. So for example, when my father and our family was kicked out of South Africa, there were so many protests mm. of people saying, why are you why are you pushing my many American clergy were getting kicked out in the late 60s and, and early 70s. And so I grew up with this like right from the start of my life, this why, why are the people protesting? And my family was very active in in preaching to the Zulu communities outside of where we lived. And so it was really interesting for us I think as kids, my uh, brother and sister were, uh, younger brother and sister were both born in South Africa. Wow. So they like to freak people out and say, I'm an African-American. And people are like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, I was born in Africa. You know? And so, um, but I think, you know, that whole experience of my childhood and my mm-hmm. professional experience, 
know, I found myself, for example, at LinkedIn, I was the only member on the executive team for the four years I was there that had lived and worked internationally. Like wow. everyone has their, has their own lens. So I like to think that's helped me see the world a little differently and maybe be a little more creative in my ability to help other people solve their problems and look at things from a different lens because I've done that. And I, I should also say when I was 16, I had a great opportunity to live in France uh, working on a farm wow. and where I had to learn French and I was you know, dumped in. This is pre end of the Cold War era. So it was rare that you know there's the little token American in our little French village. Now, you know, you can see that the world's a lot more open, but back then it was pretty interesting. So that's just a little bit of my personal back, because I think the personal really informs a lot of your professional thinking uh, as it well. Does. It does. No, I agree with you 100%. You know, you have a very multicultural lens on the world, given that you worked with a variety of different organizations outside and inside and on, you know, different soil. You know, I want to ask you, the world is becoming only more multicultural. Organizations have to support, you know, a multicultural base of employees, but more importantly, customers. You know, how do you think, how important, how should organizations be thinking about their talent strategy as the world becomes more multicultural and things are so dynamic now? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm a big believer in holistic change. And I, Malcolm Gladwell is sort of my, you know, thought, um, you know, idol when it comes to, you know, how do we change and how do we do things differently? And I think when I look at more, the opportunity for more multicultural, um, you know, organizations and teams, I think COVID has actually been a great ignition. I mean, if we're looking for silver lining in some really difficult times for a lot of us, it's forcing us to be able to get comfortable with, you know, working with people from different places in a different way mm. uh, and through different mediums. And I think that will translate well to well, we have to be open to more talent in different locations because geography doesn't matter as much. And we're proving right now that we can create value as individuals with people in different places because everyone's in a different place. Very few organizations are together in one spot right now. And that coordination that and muscle we're going to build, I'm hopeful, is going to uh, result in greater openness to doing this. And I, I also mm. believe that you know, if we're going to realize a more you know, diverse acronym, which I believe is the ultimate, uh, you know, objective. If you want to be more profitable, you've got to have an organization that represents the landscape of the world. And so the more that you represent that, the more you understand it, the more you can sell to it, the more profitable you're going to be. And I think we're, we, I'm tired of the diversity and inclusion arguments that are based on guilt mm. versus based on it's the right thing to do. And we're going to make more money, you know? So like <laughs> that, those are the conversations and I also am not excited about organizations that say, well, there's our head of multicultural over there. Mm. And because you're, you, what you do is you take away the ownership for the whole leadership team, the whole employee base. Now, we all got to own this, not that person, you know? And so, oh, they're the person who's in charge of diversity. No, we're all in charge of diversity. They're going to help show us some insightful ways that we can do this. So I, I think... You know, it's it's not like a nice to it's we're moving from politically correct to nece necessary for vital businesses to grow. And, you know, I have a love hate relationship with so social media. I think social media on the downside has allowed us to find more ways that we're different. And we double down on that versus amplifying all the ways that we're alike. And I, that's how, what I want social media to do for us. But at the same time, social media is outing the bad actors in mm. this, you know, in the world. And that's a good thing. This is why I love what COVID's done. We have the greatest leadership test in the history of the earth happening before our eyes every day. You know, when, when times are tough, 
That's when we know which leaders and which organizations, which cultures are going to stand up or not stand up, right? So take take two two great examples, uh, businesses that really took it, Airbnb and Bird in the scooter industry. And I don't know if anyone saw the article about how Bird handled their staff reduction. It was but horrible. It was a, Apparently it was it was referred to by some people who were let go as a black mirror episode. Wow. <laughs> and and one of those case studies for business school the wrong way, you know, to to do it. And it was just very highly impersonal, um, not leadership not stepping up and owning it, and just a miserable outcome. Whereas you have Airbnb creating among the people they let go more loyalty to Airbnb mm. than than existed before by how you know, how much they went the extra mile and turned that whole company into an outplacement firm. That's what Airbnb did. We're going to try to help. And it was just grieving. I mean, I'm sure your feed was just like mine, just full yeah. of people who, not just who left, but people who are still there going, man, we're going to do everything we can to find work for our great former colleagues, you know? And so, you know, that, I think that transparency to how people are handling some of these tough issues, I think is opening people's eyes to, well, I want to spend my time with the organization that's doing this the right way. And we're getting lots of good intel right now yeah. for us to decide who's deserving of our talents. You know, mm -hmm. no, it's so powerful you say that because, you know, have shared the Airbnb example with a lot of different friends and colleagues in the industry. And it's amazing what they did and even just how they pivoted the business to still support their host and allow them to do online experiences. But in that, in, in what you mentioned of, you know, they actually created more loyalty with the people that were leaving than existed in the past because they offered them computers because it's hard to find jobs if you don't have a computer to be able to search for opportunities and network and things of that nature. They created a talent marketplace. Like all of yeah. these different themes are really actually very monumental things for you to do with people who you have to transition out due to, you know, um, um, because the market changes, right? Like Airbnb didn't see this coming. And I think it's, it's uh, I love what you said, Steve, about it's a, it's actually a leadership opportunity for a lot of different organizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and listen, Tim, I mean, I've, I've heard you talk about this. I've heard your guests talk about this. We have the most fluid uh, world of work right now than we've ever seen before as measured by how short people are staying in organizations. And, you know, you and I were talking a little bit before the show around this, which is, you know, many companies still reward and motivate their teams based on how long they can keep their staff. Like retention yeah. is a really big deal. And what I'm what I'm trying to help organizations see today is, you know, I asked them, what's your biggest problem? Well, we can't hire really great people and we can't keep the really great people. And I said, so they're not staying as long? They said, that's right. I say, do you see that changing in the next 20 years? No, we don't. In fact, we most companies around the world that I talk to say we see a continued decline of how long people are going to stay. And I said, so maybe we should think of a different model. Maybe that in a more fluid world, you know, we care about people not just when they're working for us. Maybe we need to care for them for their whole career versus just the job time. And there's still a lot of companies I call it that have the Tony Soprano school of HR, where <laughs> if you quit. You quit, you're dead to me. You know, it doesn't work today. It doesn't work today, right? Yeah. And so, because that person's got a phone in their pocket, which goes right to Glassdoor, which can talk about all the good and the bad. And you could also be missing a boomerang opportunity. You could be missing someone who goes to a company that wants to do a partnership with you. So we've got to see the world of talent as organizations much more than just when someone's with us. Uh, because that's, the, that's what I'm referring to in, in my upcoming book. Sort of, that's just a broken model. Let's have a more honest conversation. You're going to leave here at some point. 
and I want this to be the best experience of your career. What can we do to set you up for your next adventure? Because I want to be with you your whole career, not just when you're here. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's a bigger, better commitment than promising job security, which is such a hollow promise today. I mean, who believes their company's never going to let them go or have a hard time or have some unicorn come after them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, you know, I think it's a it's it's a brand opportunity too for the organizations that get it right. You know, you can build brand loyalty that way. And you know, it's 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 very. I, I love your philosophy, Stephen. I can't wait to read your book because this is how organizations should be designed. Um, it should be how do you grow your people, not how do you retain them for life, quote unquote, right? Because that's not that's not really the world we're living in anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Tim, you're giving me goosebumps because you're, <laughs> you're, you are reading my book by what you're saying. So one of the chapters in my book is called from, you know, job security to career security. And mm-hmm. in that I say, like, listen, you can't promise you're not going to you know, have to let someone go. But what you can promise them is you're going to make them more vital for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's all about investing in them while they're with you and say, my promise is not that you won't get fired. My promise is that you're going to be better and more safe for an uncertain future than anywhere else you could work. Like that's mm-hmm. gotta be our commitment. Not a promise of job security, but a promise of knowledge and employability, a promise of growth. And that traditionally among my, my HR peers, and I gotta admit, I, I, I've said these words have come out of my mouth, like <laughs> why do I wanna educate you and make you more able to leave my company? Why yeah. would I do that? You know, and now you don't have a choice now. Like you have to do that yeah. because if, and if I'm looking at what employer I wanna go work for, it's one that's going to make me better for an uncertain future because that's the only thing that we both know. Like the mm-hmm. employers and employees today have this awkward situation where both parties don't know what skills they need to have a, <laughs> a safer future. We, we don't know. Yeah. And so, you know, what, what I do think is that, and I'm asked this all the time, whether it's on radio, television, whatever, like, hey, skill, Steve, what are the most important skills for the future? And I mm-hmm. say, well, I can tell you what they are today, but I promise you next year, the answer is different. So I could send you on an endless chase of trying to get the skill that's going to make you relevant. Mm-hmm. But I think the bigger skill is the ability to learn the new skills. Mm-hmm. You're, I call it learning agility, your learning velocity. Uh, that's what we need to be working on. That's what our schools need to be working on is not just building people to get a job, but building people to continually be able to learn. And that will take care of the job security issue. You follow me? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I want to show love to the amazing Joy Ofodu, who was on a past episode as one of our lovely guests. She says the greatest leadership test in the history of the earth. She agrees with you 100%, Steve. You know, and yeah. there's something you mentioned here, because do you believe now that every organization has gone remote overnight pretty much, right? And we're still kind of all struggling through COVID-19? Do you think yeah, so- relationship, employee-employee relationship continues to be fractured? Yeah, so it's interesting. I don't know if you saw the Canadian government talked about this. The Canadian government says, we're not all working from home. We're at home during a crisis trying to get work done. <laughs> and so I don't know about you, but I was on a webinar yesterday and I got a text feed from my son. Can you make me breakfast? How long are you going to be on the call? Hey, dad, you know, there's a signature at the front door. Like you need to sign for like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like my school or my home is now a school and an office. And so, and, and Tim, I don't believe anyone that says it's going to be like this forever. Who, nobody knows. Yeah. And we don't know. Like I, I was joking on a, I had a, this great conference in Ohio. I was pre-recording this talk and I was joking with them. Say, you know, an HR, one of the biggest, you know, challenging things that we have to face sometimes is the sexual harassment investigation. Like someone makes a claim, we go to investigate. So I was mm-hmm. telling the audience, Hey, the good news is 
those complaints have come way down. I said, but we all know what's going to happen. One of our employees is going to file a claim of harassment, a hostile work environment against their teenage child. Like that's like, <laughs> that's the work environment. Like, and we, we don't know. And listen, I, you're like me. I think we're, we're like extroverts incorporated. This is torture for us. Mm -hmm. I want to be around people. I want to be hugging people. I want to yeah. be like feeling the energy that makes me feel alive. Like I looking at this camera right now is not making me have that same sense of love. True. But um, so I don't know how it's going to play out. But I do think I mean, for sure, the doubters of, you know, work life balance and, you know, working from home, uh, you know, the, the argument's over. Like I would say the merger is complete. Work life is, is now complete. Like the, the merger has, has been completed now. So here we are. So, but what does that mean? And I think friction is going to move from different places to, you know, I always used to say the worst boss is the boss that's single and has no children and has done your job before. So then like you're in trouble. So, so now like if I've got three kids in my house right now, my biggest challenge is battling for Wi-Fi bandwidth because they've got Zoom classes and and things they have to do, or when they're not, they're gaming. And so I'm, I'm monitoring my, you know, the quality of my upload download. Um, but but so you know, we're still at the early phases of trying to figure out how this plays out. And if you've got a boss that doesn't understand, you've got to manage your kids. I got to make lunches. I got real needs. And the younger the kids, the more homeschooling is problematic. We still haven't figured out what that means for everybody. And so there's different pain points. I think the the shared recognition of our team humanity is going to be a good thing. Like I'm really going to have to understand the personal lives of my employees hmm. far more than before. And that hopefully is going to be a good thing in terms of our ability to build trust. Like this is this is why I have a problem with Zoom and a problem with technology uh, sometimes because it's it's our seduction with technology is taking us away from the fact that it's hard to build trust mm. through a screen it is. as it is in person. And we got to learn how to, we're going to have to learn how to do that better. And I think hopefully this experience is going to force some technology, uh, you know, innovation that we can find ways of building better trust when we're not in the same room. You know, it's just different. Uh, until we can teleport, right? <laughs> right? Right, right. Well, you joke about that, Tim. I was approached by a company saying, we can hologram you so you can speak at a conference in China. You don't have to fly to China. I go, really? Tell me more. Like, this could be really interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. And I, I want to ask you, you worked with organizations like LinkedIn. And one of the things, Jeff Wiener, the former CEO of LinkedIn, now chairman, he's a huge advocate around compassionate leadership, right? And really being able to empathize with, your, your employees, but also your customers and how mm -hmm. compassion is really the mainstay of leadership. And actually that's a philosophy I follow. You know, how, how important do you think it is for leaders to show compassion in times like this? And what's your philosophy on how leaders should lead in a remote first world? Yeah. So hundred percent agree, obviously. I mean, Jeff, Jeff is like an unbelievably talented leader and that was always his philosophy, never, never changed. And I was, I was the recipient of that from him and I and really uh, can't, can't thank him enough for that. But, but listen, as we were talking before, everyone's life has changed now. And I think what I think is a good thing is the first point of contact that we have employer, manager, employer, leader needs to be, how are you doing? How are you doing? That doesn't mean, are you behind on your work? Or are you on top of your work? It means, no, how are you doing? How are your parents doing? Are you feeling safe? Is there something I could do for you? So I'm gonna need to make that connection. Now, as a high context person, 
I always have to make that connection before I deal with anyone anyway. So it's kind of a no brainer for me, but it's an unnatural for a lot of folks who are more task oriented, separating personal and work. We can't do that now. And so I think having more greater empathy and compassion and appreciation for other people's circumstances, it's just imminently going to make it easier to solve problems and get through difficult things. If I can see the world through someone else's shoes and, and pair of eyes, Mm-hmm. then I think I can understand their point of view better. I mean, I, I will tell you, one of the greatest skills that people don't appreciate, someone like Jeff Weiner has, and having sat in the office next to his for almost four years, is that if there was ever disharmony in the organization, Jeff would get the people that were having a difference, of, and they would sit with them and would say, we are not leaving this room until we figure out why there's a disconnect here. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes he'd invite me in for that, or sometimes maybe I was on the you know receiving end. Of, I had a disagreement with somebody, <laughs> and uh, and he was so phenomenal around appreciating that we're an organization is a collection of people, and we all have different values. We all have different educational experiences. We've all come from different backgrounds, and the more it really is kind of crazy that we can even get along as well as we do when you think about how diverse the world can be. Yeah. Uh, but Jeff's appreciation very quickly was. I mean, he loves product and he's a product marketing guy. And I remember sitting with him and he was the first time CEO, right? When when I joined the company, I was his first hire on his executive team. And I remember going to his office one day, he says, gosh, all I do is deal with people issues. And I was like, yeah, that's what a CEO does, man. <laughs> and, and he's like, and he really took it on like super bright guy. And within a few weeks, I mean, he's like, yeah, got it. You know, I got to figure this out. I'll give you a great story about Jeff, which is just a great leadership story around what you're talking about relative to compassion. You you spent some time at LinkedIn. You know that there's a, a regular survey cadence of employees like, you know, are you getting what you need? Are you feel inspired by your boss? And, you know, are you clear in the vision, mission, values? A lot of the Gallup kind of questions around uh, employee engagement. Well, for one year, we got the survey results and Jeff had the lowest score on the executive team for do you, do you feel motivated by your leader? Now, it wasn't a bad score, like on a one to five, five being the highest. He was like a 4.2, but he was the lowest in the room and it just killed him. So on his board in front of his desk, he wrote the number one goal every day, I'm going to inspire my people. So we do the survey six months later, mm. Jeff's still low. Mm. And so he pulls me in his office like, Steve, like I'm really beside myself here. Like I pride myself on doing that. Mm. Why do you think it's so low? And so I said, and it was a great, it was a great moment for me to be able to help him. I said, Jeff, when you have someone on the team come to you, where, where do you meet them? He goes right here in the office. I said, is it usually about something good or something broken? He goes something. And all of a sudden the light went off. I go, right. So when people come into your office, what do you think their expect their comfort level is? Something's broken. I got to go to the principal's office. Uh Oh, and so he, in a second, I didn't even need to finish the sentence. Every one-on-one meeting he started to have walking around the park, walking around the office complex. So one-on-one walking uh, meetings. Next survey, boom, he's the top of the top of the heap. He just <laughs> wow. changed the dynamic. Yeah. So just a, it's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually really, really powerful. And, and I think it's a it's a it's a and it's so sad, right? Because leaders can't do that anymore. So now you have to kind of find a different way to give that presence, that that allyship. Um, in your organization, do you have any suggestions on how leaders or people who are watching right now, or people leaders, can do that in a, in a remote first world? Yeah. So, uh, taking the chapter out of the time in my life for four years, I worked at Cisco working on acquisition integration. Arguably, 
you know, prior to things like COVID, one of the most complicated and, you know, challenging emotion fraught experiences you can have as, as an individual is if your company gets bought, are they going to let me go? Do I have a new boss? Are they going to change my compensation or my health plan? Like everything's up in the air. And what we found was in difficult times, when we would make a mistake, it was an opportunity for the employees to see how we're going to handle that. And so what I think is really great right now is there's lots of chances for things to go sideways during COVID, but also lots of chances for you to build trust and see what people are made of. And so I think now is a chance for, for leaders to be able to, you, I think you need to be much more intentional about reaching out to people. Like if you mm -hmm. had a, a biweekly uh, meeting with a member, you should do that weekly. You know, just raise the cadence, raise the frequency, chat, you know, do personal check-ins when you deal with people, but also recognize, you know, like I'm here to, you know, as your leader to you know, clear the path for you so that you can be as productive as you can be. What, mm -hmm. what can, what advice do you have for me? And just invite the questions, you know, what, I'll, I'll give you another experience I had for my career that was really informative. I went from a mostly Western HR trained background and I was the uh, I moved to be the head of HR for Cisco Asia for two years, and I had always prided myself on reading body language as like one of my six senses, if you will. Like, yeah. kind of, I can read if someone's feeling tense or has got a question, not saying thing. Well, good luck taking that to Asia, where the <laughs> body language is so different, you know. And I, I and I almost laugh because COVID. Think about talking to someone on a work issue with a mask on. You cannot read any facial expression at all. Are they concerned? Are they confused? Yeah, Do they have a question? Yeah, Do they disagree? Eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've got to build this new skill of being more assertive, checking in and asking for, for input. And that's the skill I had to build in China was don't assume because they look like they get it, that they get it. It's like, mm -hmm. I would have to ask, does that make sense? Do you have a different view on and, and in Asia, a lot of the countries, it's impolite or disrespectful to disagree with your leader. So I would have to artfully come up with a way for them to disagree that wasn't them disagreeing. You know, if you were me, would you approach it differently? You know, things like that. And mm -hmm. and I think those are those are good skills for for leaders to think about today. Is that what worked yesterday is going to be different today? And one of my friends uh, said to me the other day, and I thought it was just the greatest quote. He's like, uh, it was around the new normal. So what's the new yeah. normal? He goes, the new normal is never normal. And I go, wow. whoa, that's it right there which 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 is pressure on us as leaders to sort of con continually monitor our environment and check in with people because things are not going to be the same don't play for that play for appreciating things are going to be different and that means higher touch more communication and 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 greater flow of information because things are just you know unpredictable increasingly right yeah and you know it's, it's so funny because you just touched on a lot of the new skills that leaders are going to have to pick up now that we're all communicating through a screen and you know the the fact that the empathy building the compassion these are all things that should have been there in your leadership toolkit prior to COVID-19 but now you're really going to have to pull it out and make sure it's a mainstay in terms of how you people lead and even just how you inspire people yeah yeah and you know one of the things you know that tying a couple of the last points that you made Tim together one of the things that I think is a, a truth around us as human beings, hmm. we are more comfortable uh, talking about hard stuff in informal environments. So Jeff Weiner, for example, in the office setting, it's a little bit tense already because we're in an office. If I'm walking with you, I'm looking ahead, I'm not having to look you in the eyes. It's very informal. My guard is down. 
I'm maybe more likely to share something with you. So we need to find ways of creating those informal opportunities for us to lower our guard a little bit, lower our barriers and have real authentic exchanges. So one company, Mobile Iron, uh, which is over here in Mountain View, California, one of my former colleagues from LinkedIn was telling me a great story. They experimented with a company chess tournament during COVID. And you know, the employees like, hey, we need to do something, you know, a substitute for the coffee room, break room, foosball, ping pong, fill in the blank, you know, cool thing that employees can do. And so they started this chess tournament and and my friend was telling me, nah, you know, it wasn't really that I don't love chess. And I mean anyway, they got 90% engagement. In the in the chat box of the chess tournament, they would see people who'd never met having discussions about product mm-hmm. and about company strategy. And I think these these are really exciting things that are happening that we're discovering new ways of people informally connecting and and, and those are the things that we're missing not being together is those what they're referred to as informal collisions of innovation opportunities right how do you do that because if i have to set up a meeting with you it's like okay i know it's a setup meeting and there's some formality around it how do we create that informal reality and there's a lot of you know people playing around with you know zoom-like features where there's a breakout here and there's a different thing here that I think are really going to be good experiments for us that are hopefully are going to help us as leaders be able to create those informal moments mm-hmm. where people lower their guard and they say really what's on their mind, you know? And they're more transparent and authentic. You know, we'd love to ask, you know, as we cap off the conversation, what's in your remote work tool stack? You know, what technologies are you using um, during these times as a speaker and also as a, as a talent advisor um, with some of the biggest organizations in the world? So l- l- tiny little investments that I've made are obviously I had to get some some higher quality speakers. I've, I've got the microphone like you've got around the corner here, but I got I invested in a simple thing. I was having a problem with lighting. OK, mm-hmm. so I bought a whole bunch of light stands. Well, going back and forth, as I do between San Diego and the Bay Area a lot, I can't bring those light stands with me all the time. So I invested in a Logitech camera that I'm using now, which there's a window on this side of me over over here. There's a window here, and it's sunny out there. There's no window on this side, but the light is even thanks to the camera. So that wow. I can't tell you how many webinars I've seen where it's like the dark face on one side, <laughs> you know, like what's going on, and you're looking at the wrong place. And you know, I think it, it, for me, the harder pivot, honestly, Tim, has just been like I want to look at you, but you're down here, and if I look at you. I'm not looking at the audience. So I got to look at the camera. I want to look at you because I want the body language and all that. So that's been the harder transition for me is yeah. getting used to that. And then things like this morning, like, okay, what time is my first meeting? Do I have to shower for that one? You know, do I have to get dressed? Do I have to wear a shirt? Or is it a phone call, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and listen, this is a great, someone told me like, hey, don't do all webinars all day. It's just people yeah. don't want to be showing themselves like do the phone. And I was talking to someone and that's their rhythm. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to steal that. I like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like vary it up, you know, give people that chance to, you know, look a little bit whacked out and, and not have to be all cleaned up. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, it's funny. You set up the Zoom call, but make it all audio, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it all it's audio. a simple thing. It's a simple thing. But again, back to what we were just talking about. I'm going to probably feel more comfortable if I'm sitting in my jammies or my ratty sweats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not having to, you know, look nice and clean up like my desk behind me because I'm on a video, not worried about that, you know, yeah, yeah. if if we do that. And that's, I think we're going to have to find a good balance there somehow, you know, and we're no, still no. learning, you know, we're still learning. 
It's true. It's true. Love that. Love that. Man, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. Oh, you share all kinds of great tips, and we're excited about the new book, man. Where can our people connect with you and follow more of your movement and all the things that you're putting out there into the world? Yeah, awesome. So uh, stevecadigan.com uh, is the place. I've got a, a website where it's sort of a clearinghouse. Got a lot, a lot of my videos, a lot of my talks, a lot of my thoughts. I just launched, and I'm I'm not sharing it too broadly yet, but it's blowing up. I just launched a TikTok channel, if you will, <laughs> and I'm and I'm not sure how I feel about you know the breaches of security and the threats yeah. of that yet. So until that gets sorted, I'm hoping that you know someone buys them, uh, and we can get through some of those security risks, but. That's a place where I'm able to sort of give little nuggets. And and if you would uh, want to check out some of my thoughts on there, I've done a whole series on interviewing. And next week, I'm going to do a whole series on salary negotiations. But, you know, trying to help people, you know, navigate this really uncertain future of work. But yeah, Tim, it's been a pleasure to uh, to chat with you. And I hope we get a chance to do this again when the book really comes out. Oh, exci- no, excited. Excited about the book, man. Steve, thank you so much. We definitely need to have you on for a future episode. Once again, then what's your powerful takeaway for our community on, you know, how they can survive and thrive in the future of work, man? Right now, look at work as a marathon. Uh, look at work as, you know, your ability to grow and learn is your job security. Not having a job, it's being able to have a job. So just know the greatest investment you can make is in yourself and and put that pressure on yourself to make sure you find people and and organizations that are making you better and constantly raising your game. And then I think you're gonna feel a lot safer. Mm, Powerful, thank you so much, Steve. Appreciate you being on the show, man. Thank you so much, Tim. Yeah, love it, brother. (laughs) Man, that was the awesome Steve Cadigan on the show with us today if you enjoy steve make sure you follow him and his movement at stevecadigan.com and make sure you sign up for his newsletter because he's going to be sharing more information about the book soon that is going to probably come out maybe early 2021 but what a time to to really redefine what the employee employer contract is and once again you know if you are reeling right now given what's going on with the state of the world in terms of jacob blake we are with you keep strong stay strong and know that better days are absolutely coming. With that said, if you want to learn more about GuideApp, check out guideapp.co. Sign up for our early access beta. We continue to chug along and lead our movement. So if you ever want to learn more about how to get access to our early beta, sign up and we will bump you up on the wait list if you invite a friend. With that said, thank you so much for joining us this lovely morning. You know, if you have any questions on how you can help us or how you can sponsor, or if you have any thoughts on a guest for a future episode of the Guide Live BDB Jam session, reach out to me or check out utfow.com where you can actually sign up to be a potential guest or refer someone that you think would be an amazing guest on our show. With that said, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oakland, stand up if you are in the building. Much love to you. Please, please, please. Have a lovely Thursday, and as always, peace, love, and abundance.